You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Santa Barbara, California. And before I begin, as I always do, I want to remind you that there is a website associated with this podcast. The home of Wealth Formula Podcast is wealthformula.com. Wealthformula.com is where you can go to get a number of resources associated with this podcast. A lot of free stuff there, webinars, books, and other lists to join, including our investor club. If you are an accredited investor, consider onboarding for that uh, if you're interested in getting uh, off the sidelines and you know into some interesting deal flow. Also, you should consider the Wealth Formula Network. If you geek out on personal finance and you need a group, or as we call them, a cult, uh, that is interested in uh, personal finance and you don't uh, have the neighbors or the spouse who's interested in talking to you about this stuff, it's a place you want to be. Wealth Formula Network starts out with the courts with lots of those people that you already know, Tom Wheelwright, Ken McElroy, et cetera, and fundamentally switches into a community and that's where we have the Facebook group and we have our bi-weekly Zoom video calls which you'll hear reference today from our guest as well. Anyway, check that out at wealthformularoadmap.com. Okay, as far as today's show, I want to uh, ask the question, what does it mean? What does that slang mean coming out of left field? You heard people say that before? Well, I'm uh, it's a slang derived from baseball. Uh, which basically refers to something that happens. It's sort of unexpected. Like it just came out of left field. Frankly, I'm still trying to envision what, why that it's weird for something to come out of left field, but it, it is what it is. I, I never did play baseball, so maybe somebody can tell me that. Uh, but, um, you know, what does that phrase coming out of left field equate to in personal finance? Well, the opposite of something unexpected would, of course, be something that's expected or something that is expected might be conventional, right? Conventional financial wisdom includes stocks, bonds, and mutual funds and all that stuff. And that becomes the foundation of a conventional, solid, quote unquote, responsible portfolio. Now, conventional finance has even labeled investments out of this core set of products as alternative. Now I wonder why that is, right? Why do the why why do people get in commissions from being your advisor uh you know in in these products and selling you mutual funds? Why would they call all these other things alternative? Well, they might not get commissions on them for one thing. But when you think of alternative, what kinds of images pop into your mind? To me, I mean nothing wrong with this, but you know, Green hair, maybe some nose rings, lots of gothy black clothing. Uh, well, you know, that's not by accident, right? That's not by accident that that's the kind of images that pop into your head for the word alternative and how it's been linked to alternative finance. Now, the conventional financial apparatus would like investors to think of investing in real estate, and other non-paper assets, the same way you think of those alternative images that pop into your head. Maybe they're a little unstable, maybe a little unsafe. Maybe you got to grow up a little bit and, you know, get responsible. 
It's actually a really clever use of language for marketing purposes from the conventional folks, I must say, but it's disingenuous all the same. After all, how could real estate be an alternative investment? The ownership of real estate and other stuff like, you know, gold and land and art and all this stuff outdate the more modern phenomena of paper assets and certainly any kind of public equity market by thousands of years. Owning stuff is the only way investing even occurred just a few hundred years ago. Nevertheless, I can't tell you the number of times I've witnessed genuine anxiety from, from investors when they first realized that maybe they ought to be thinking about coming to the dark side, you know, staying away from the conventional stuff and coming to uh, the alternative side. Uh, because they've been conditioned their entire lives to think that that, that that the other way, the conventional way, is the only safe and responsible way to invest. I get it. And that's what our alternative investing communities like Wealth Formula Network, our community, are for. We're kind of like support groups for recovering paper asset investors. And we each, you know, support the and encourage others uh, to, you know, to take in financial, their own financial lives into their own hands, their own financial interests. Of course, ours isn't the only support group, or as some might call it a cult. Uh, Jim Pfeiffer's Left Field Investors is another one, and it just so happens that he is uh, also part of Wealth Formula Network. So this week, we're going to interview Jim we're going to talk to him about his journey from high school teacher to financial advisor, then ultimately leading him into the world of podcasting and as a career full-time uh, investor. Exciting stuff. And we'll have uh, that interview with Jim right after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today is a second round of our uh, Wealth Formula intra-community interviews. And today it is with uh, an interesting character by the name of Jim Pfeiffer. And uh, Jim is going to tell us all about his journey and ultimately what led him to have his own podcast, which you probably will enjoy as well. But welcome, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Buck. Thanks for having me on. You bet. And um, so, Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself to try to get a sort of, uh, you know, give the community a little perspective, a little bit of ability to relate with, you know, what you've been through and that kind of thing. Sure. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on career number four. Um, I first started out in reinsurance working for a, a company that was eventually bought by Warren Buffett. So I was in reinsurance for, you know, the first 12 years of my career. And um, I made a transition after that to, I was a, a high school teacher teaching inner city kids accounting and finance. And then I went on to become a financial advisor for a few years. And that's really where things changed because the more I started learning about money, um, because I'd always been a stock market guy, mutual funds, all that, you know, from the minute I, I had a paycheck, I was putting it all into 401k. And then also all my after-tax money was going into the, the stock market. So Once you were, you were a W2 guy all that time, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was a W2 guy until just, just a few years ago, just recently. Okay. And, you know, I was doing what everyone else does. I was doing what, what I was told was the right thing to do. And when I became a financial advisor, I started learning and understanding money better. And when I did that, I realized that most of the financial products that I was selling 
were not really um, Good. the financial products <laughs> I wanted to be in. And I think you uh, you said the um, buy and hope strategy, you know, and and it was all about appreciation of these paper assets. And yeah. you know, once I was, I became an accidental landlord in two thousand eight. And uh, when we sold our house, we couldn't, or when we built a new house, we couldn't sell our old one. And so we rented it out for five years. And that's kind of when the, um, the spark was lit a little bit. And then five years I managed it on my own and I was just sick of it, but I still hadn't figured out that this was the, the asset, this was the way to go. Um, but when I tried to sell it, my realtor said, well, why don't you instead just let me manage the rental for you? And at the time that house was paid off. Yeah. So he also said, Hey, why don't you get a mortgage on that house and we'll buy a couple more. And I did it. I followed his advice. And so pretty soon I had three, you know, I'd turned one cash flowing asset into three cash flowing assets. And again, light bulb went on. Then I was, I became a financial advisor and I learned more and more about how money works, the velocity of money, which you talk a lot about. And that made me realize real estate is what I wanted to do. So I started buying single family turnkey properties and then I realized, well, one door is nice, but what about four doors, eight doors? So I started buying some multifamily and I kind of walked into a 22 unit and bought it. I don't know that I intended to buy it, um, but every step of the way, you know, the, the guy was like, hey, you can get out of this anytime. And it was just a super, it was a great deal. So I bought that, bought an eight unit, bought a four unit and realized that this is what I wanted to do. Um, until I realized that managing property managers is not fun. Yeah. I, you know, it's not passive. You know, they say turnkeys are passive. They are, they're passive with a headache. Um, and I didn't like that, but I, I kept kind of buying. And then, then I went to a, a seminar with the real estate guys to learn how to be a syndicator. Mm-hmm. And when I went there, sat there, learned for a couple of days. And when I left, I knew for sure that I wanted to be a passive investor and not a syndicator. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't managed those multifamilies very well. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was saved by the market. The market had gone up an incredible amount. Yep. So, you know, I, I more than doubled mm-hmm. my money, but I sold almost everything. I only have two single family homes left. Those are the original, two of the original three. I've sold everything else and put it all into, um, into passive syndications. And through that and, and just through networking and through, you know, your group, I, I learned the, the lazy 1031, which is um, using cost segregation to offset your, uh, your gains. And so that's what I yep. did with all those multifamilies. And I just stuck it in a bunch of syndications. And, and that, that's kind of how I got, the, got to where I am now, where I'm a full-time passive investor. Um, you know, I have a, a group of left field investors and, you know, we just try to help educate people and have a network for people to discuss. It's... Um, a little less sophisticated than your group. It's, there's a lot of beginners in it, um, but it's it's similar in that it gives you a community where you can talk about investments and learn about investments. Let's go back to your um, your past as a financial advisor because you know I, I'm um, I'm curious, kind of like in hindsight. Uh, obviously, you know you kind of had an idea even while you were doing this, or maybe you didn't, that these products. Um, were okay, right? Uh, that you were selling, whether they were mutual funds or whatever, what kind of products they were. Um, tell me what was going through your mind, and then tell me what you know. Uh, tell me the way your your clients uh, were seeing, you know, the products that uh, that you were selling. I'm curious about that, especially in hindsight, you know, with the perspective that you have now. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, part of my practice was um, life insurance and, you know, the uh, wealth formula banking mm-hmm. is, is kind of where I ended up at. But I started, you know, selling um, different types of life insurance and like you said, mutual funds and right. other things. But even the life insurance, it was, you know, the way they train you to sell that is to, um, and this sounds bad, but it's not as bad as it sounds, but it's to maximize commission to the agent. Right. 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 So the first couple of policies, even that I sold myself, were not optimized for what I was going to end up doing, which was real estate. They were optimized for retirement way down the road and a death benefit. And those are still okay policies, but they're not structured like wealth formula banking. They're not structured in a way that helps you out. Um, so that's where I learned, I was learning like the velocity of money. We were talking about, hey, you know, get this life insurance and then you can use that to create other assets and do all this other stuff. But the other assets they were talking about were putting it in the stock market or putting it in these places where you're just um, kind of hoping that you get appreciation, right? Yeah, and so, not- so you're training and, 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 you know, you don't feel, you don't need to, you know, be sorry about it or feel guilty about it. This is just a reality, but your training back then was, um, is ultimately, okay, how do you maximize commission on this product, which, you know, uh, obviously that's a, that's a fundamental difference. I mean, when I, when I remember when I started first looking at this, these policies too, I realized it wasn't just the concept, but it's the actual structure that was being put together on these policies. And, but that wasn't really what you were trained to, to think about, right? You were trained to think about, well, you have a business to run too. Yeah. And, and it wasn't um, done in a, in a way like, oh, we're trying to, to get as much money from the customer as possible. It was done in a way where it was just cookie cutter, like all the other products. Everyone sold the same thing. And it just happened to be the thing that we were all selling was the thing that maximized our commission. And, you know, now when I talk to people about um, whole life insurance or, or whatever you want to call it, infinite banking, wealth formula banking, you know, the key is to find a, an advisor that you, that you know, like, and trust and one that is willing to realize that to do what we want to do, meaning generate a bunch of cash so you can invest, put it into other things, the advisor is going to have to necessarily take a pretty severe cut in commission compared to what they would the standard way. So I think the problem that I have with um, the financial advising industry, I guess, is that they kind of treat everybody the same and everyone gets a cookie cutter product. You get this life insurance, you get these mutual funds, and it and it doesn't you know, unless you find a really creative or the right advisor, they might not even know that there's a different way to do it. So it's not like they're, they're not malicious necessarily. Just don't know any better. Right. I mean, that's really, uh, that's, that's the moral of the story. I think like, I think that uh, that's been my experience, especially when I look back at the people who were selling me insurance before, or were trying to get me to invest in various, um, you know, conventional products. Uh, they they didn't know. I don't know that they, um, you know, that they really knew that there was other options out there. I don't even think that they understood that if you did an IRA, you could self-direct and invest in other things. So a lot of it is just sort of uh, benign neglect. Yeah, it is. And, and you're, you know, it takes, a, it, it, it's hard, it's a hard job and you got to learn all the stuff that, you know, your company wants you to sell or your company wants you to understand. So learning about the other stuff, you know, that just makes it even more complicated. And so I think, you know, if now that I know what I know, I'm glad I went through that. I, I was very, um, it was very important to me the whole time to only sell to my clients things that I was buying myself. So I never uh, put a client in, in something that, that I wasn't sure. doing also. 
But I realized after a while that I was you didn't know what you were doing more and more in real estate, right? And, <laughs> right? and I don't get I don't get paid when I put someone else in real estate. I'm also not licensed for it. Right. So there was a conflict. And, and so at the end of my advising career, I was really going into the office and about 80% of my time I was using on my own personal real estate. I really wasn't doing advising much anymore. And I was really starting to tell my clients, Hey, you should look into this syndication stuff, the passive, the real estate. And so it just, it just didn't make sense to be an advisor anymore. So from the standpoint of advising and having clients that were following what, you know, you might call conventional, uh, conventional financial wisdom, you obviously, you know, had a had a following, which I presume in part is your initial group, the left field group is made up of. Do you feel like there was a lot of resistance? There was a lot of general sense that, hey, you know, this isn't the quote unquote right thing to do, uh, that somehow they were doing maybe something that was riskier because they were doing something that was not necessarily on their radar in their entire financial life. Uh, have you, did you feel that kind of resistance? Not really, because most of the people were seeing what I were, was doing and they were asking me about it, getting excited about it. And um, some of the hesitation was, well, I'm not sure my spouse will understand this or get into the alternative space. And the alternative space, that word drives me crazy. Oh, you like purple hair and nose rings and yeah, you know, that. exactly. <laughs> right. Alternative investments. It's where you live. It's where you go to work. It's where you buy stuff. It's real estate, right? It makes no sense that they call it alternative. But that was that the, the spouses were the ones that might have been hesitant. Um, but you're right. I, I had built up some clients who were, you know, they they knew me, they trusted me. And so when I started doing this, they they actually asked me, hey, how do how can I invest alongside of you? Or how can we, how can you help me get into this a little bit too? They, they didn't jump all the way out of, um, you know, the, the market or whatever, but they were, a lot of them were interested in dipping their toes into this and, and seeing how they like it. And um, the more you kind of talk about it and, and people start asking about it, they, people want to be involved. Um, you know, there's barriers. There's uh, the minimums are pretty high for, for normal people. And, and so, um, you know, there are barriers, but people are really interested when you start talking real estate. Yeah, there is um, there there is a, a little bit of a resistance in general because I think you know you talk about the spouses. We get a lot of I get a lot of that too, where you know we uh, I get investors who are really interested, and then all of a sudden they say, "Well, you know, my wife doesn't really want to do this. She thinks it's risky, whatever." I'm like, "Oh, it's up to you guys. Whatever you want." But it is interesting. It is some. So we are so conditioned to believe that somehow, you know. Stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, these kinds of things are the quote-unquote safe thing. And, you know, it's the conservative thing. And, like, it's not alternative, right? Alternative inherently has a this crazy sound to it, right? Alternative, yeah. it's different, and it's outside of the norm. And if you go outside of the norm, who knows what could happen? And I feel like that is a major hurdle you know, especially like within doctors, and I don't know if you have physician clients, but, you know, I never try specifically to target doctors and I never have. And the reason is that, you know, a little bit of uh, a little bit of a knowledge in the hand of a doctor is pretty dangerous. And a lot of times because they, they tend to be pretty smart people and they start, you know, sort of rehashing what they may have heard on another podcast or somebody else. It is a it, it's a very difficult thing, I think, for people to realize that they're that this alternative pathway is actually 
not unsafe. Right. I think it, it, it's not unsafe. It's just illiquid. You know, for, for mm-hmm. me, in, in the stock market, you're, you're betting on what other people will think the price will be in the future, right? And mm-hmm. then you can sell it to someone for more. And in real estate, you're betting that you can maintain and increase the income that the asset produces. Mm-hmm. And then you pocket that income and then bet that since the income from the asset has increased, you'll probably have appreciation in the asset, right? You've forced the valuation to go up. Yep. So, you know, the way I look at it is the stock market, that's where that's where the risk is. That's when, whenever I want to, you know, have some fun investing something, I'll go find a, a, a small stock or a pre IPO or something to put yeah. a little bit of money in that. Um, but the real estate stuff, that's just boring. And, uh, and, and it just, it just goes right. It puts money in your pocket and there's appreciation on the backside. And the only risk is that you're tying your money up for a long time. That's, that's how I see it. Boring is good. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's a mantra that we have on the show, uh, frequently, but, um, so tell me, I get, let's elaborate a little bit on that um, change from active to passive investor, because you said some things that I think are important. I think a lot of people, when they have their initial aha moment from uh, about real estate and about, you know, the depreciation, all of these, all those benefits, tax benefits, um, it's a lot of times it comes uh, following a, a purple book, right? It usually comes from like a Kiyosaki book in a, in a Robert has a, a just incredible ability to inspire people uh, through his words, as simple as they're written. He's just, it's a genius uh, that he has. But, you know, people get inspired with that. Then their takeaway is, okay, well, then I just need to buy houses and, you know, uh, then live off the passive income and, and uh, game over. But it's not that easy, right? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, what I found was that if you really want to uh, make money in real estate, you probably, A, got to pay uh, a lot more attention to the assets. It's not a hands-off thing if you're going to do it yourself. If you really want to squeeze out the profit, potential profit on these things, you have you really need to push it. You need to be managing these things. But on the other hand, that's what creates the profit, Right. Um, and then the second, the, the second thing, uh, I was just going to, I don't even remember what the second thing was, but, but bottom line is that it is, it's not easy. And the, uh, the issue is that how do you transition from, you know, letting go to that and saying, Hey, I might just, you know, I might make as much money or, uh, or even more potentially, or maybe less, but if you took my time value, did the value of my time and incorporate that, then that I'm probably better off going passive. How did tell us a little bit about that journey? Cause I think that's an important one. Yeah, it was, I just, the, the property managers were a lot to manage and I was looking to be more passive, less involved. And you can't do that on, on turnkey properties, maybe a little bit, but on the multifamily, it was constant battle with the property manager to, you know, renovate units and, and how much is that going to cost? And I, you know, I was looking for cash flow. So every time he renovated a unit, I, I was, I, or evicted a tenant. I didn't want to do that because then I'd have to have cash out of pocket. You know, I just didn't understand how it worked. And and not really until um, Western Wealth, when uh, you connected me with them, that I understood that if you renovate a unit, you know, it's not how long does it take to pay back the costs of that renovation. It's how much does that push the value of the property. 
I didn't understand that until after I sold my multifamily and I actually sold it to someone who, um, you know, I was in another a group with and I was pleased because I more than doubled um, the value of that property. And he then in another year doubled it again because he did it he right. He actually did it right. Yeah. And so it just proved to me that you need someone who's a professional who knows what they're doing to manage these assets. And so I would rather put my money with Western Wealth Capital because they that's all they do. They know what they're doing. They're going to take it. They're going to run with it. And I am convinced that my cash flow, well, my cash flow is going to be better during the, the whole time than, my, than on the uh, multifamily I owned. And the return afterwards will probably also be better. Yeah. So, you know, one of the not- challenges though, Jim, is that like in this market too, it's like, what is cash flow, right? If you really want to increase the value of these properties, you're generally putting in quite a bit of money. So what I've found and the evolution that I've had, uh, I start, and this is, this brings you back to the, the purple book uh, thought that I forgot about was that it's not that actually easy to generate that much cash flow where you can just replace your income uh, by buying a certain number of house. It takes a tremendous amount of uh, equity actually to get in a position where you can at maybe six to 8% really have substantial cash flow that could replace your income. So, in our in our group, you know, we have so many people who have very high paying jobs. So the question is, do you really even need that cash flow, or do you really care that much? It's, it's still there. It's not very much if you look at a Western wealth capital. But really, what the the difference in paradigm is? Okay, what we're really trying to do here is force equity, create equity, create you know, um, you know, a future. A uh, pile of equity that at some point we can flip the switch and buy a Walgreens if we want to, and then live off of that cash flow. But in the short term, the cash flow is probably not the way the purple pill uh, made it seem. No, that that that's correct. But I would also say that if you're buying apartments on your own or buying turnkeys, you're also not getting the the cash flow that you think you would get. And, you know, one of the guys in our network, he called it lumpy returns, right? So <laughs> yeah. if you if you have a single family or you have multifamily and you're an active guy, then your returns and air conditioner is going to take, a, you know, a month or a year's worth of, uh, of cash flow from you. But if you're in a syndication, you're going to have maybe the returns might be the same or lower, but they're going to be steady. You can re- rely on every year or every month or every quarter, however often they, you know, turn out those distributions that they're most likely going to come because they are running it as a professional operation. And in my mind, that beats me being active and hiring a, hiring a property manager every time. What it ends up being is the difference. You know, um, another aha moment that I had uh, as I phased out of being, you know, a guy who was buying 20, 30, 50 units at a time was that, you know, you, it's a difference between being an investor in a business versus being a landlord, right? There's very, those are two very, very different things. If you are uh, investing uh, as a passive, as a, in a limited partnership, essentially what you're investing in is a bu- business that does the business of real estate. And that is a very, very different thing from deploying capital and becoming a landlord, I mean, that is like fundamentally the big difference, don't you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you don't realize that. I mean, you have to go on your journey, right? Yeah. So I never would have gotten into real estate had we not uh, had the 2008 crash 
not happened and I wasn't able to, to sell my, my old house, you know? And from there, I just got a little taste and I, and I kept moving, kept moving forward. And now I think, you know, I, I'm never going to say I figured it all out, but I've landed in a space where it makes sense. I'm having professional people manage my investments. And then all I need to do is screen those operators, find those investments, find the people that, you know, source the, the investments and then invest in them. And once I invest, that's where the passive starts. The active is trying to find the investments and the people that you're going to invest in. But after that, I don't have to do anything because I'm investing in a professional company that's going to send me periodic reports. They're going to send me distributions. They're going to handle all of that stuff. And that's what I've proven that I'm, I'm not as good at that as they are because that's all they do. Right. Right. Absolutely. No, it makes sense. And um, so, you know, one of the things that we uh, talk about a lot of times um, is, you know, and through forums like ours, uh, whether it be Wealth Formula Network, which you're a part of, uh, or, you know, you have your own forum, you know, which is the left field investors, right? Um, mm-hmm. We always talk about this idea uh, that, uh, you know, you learn from your mistakes, um, and whether or not you call it a journey or you call it whatever, ultimately what you're doing is you're, you're going through your own mistakes and uh, you learn from them. How much, it, I've always thought that a groups like Wealth Formula Network or, you know, left field investors like you have, part of the idea there is that, yes, you do learn from mistakes, but they don't have to be your mistakes, right? They could be other people's mistakes. And have you found uh, that to be the case, whether it's through our group or your group? Um, have you have you had that experience or felt like others have gotten that uh, from your group? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, you know, I found uh, Wealth Formula in, in, in your group. And, you know, that was, it was a huge aha moment for me because I, I finally understood you know, how to, the force equity part was just a light bulb that went off. And, you know, I I jumped in a bunch of those investments as my accountant said, it's the lazy 1031, um, using all that depreciation to offset the the sale of my active businesses. So yeah, I learned that from, from your network and, and a lot more. And I've learned a ton from my network. And it is the fact that you can learn from other people's mistakes, learn from other people's history. And I just, I can't, get over the fact of, of this little niche we're in of passive investing. It's so collaborative. You know, your group is fine to work with my group. There isn't competition between, I mean, we do different things, but you know, we're not competing. And it's really the same with you're talking to one syndicator, they know the next, there's so much sharing of information, which always surprises me rather than people being competitive and trying to hoard, you know, their little area. But yeah, there, there's a ton of um, benefit to having a, a place where you can talk to others and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And they might say, well, I did that before and that turned out to be a mistake. Like, you know, one of the pieces of advice I got from one of the guys in, uh, in my group was when he invests with a new syndicator, he waits a full year before he recommends them or invests in another deal. And you know, that's good advice. I tend to jump in with one foot and then go all in and invest in the next four deals you send out. And you know, it's worked out, but it it makes sense to pause. You don't have to always rush so much. Um, Some of the other things I've learned is, you know, make sure that when you're dealing with an operator that they, they have not only experience, but they're not transitioning to do something else. The one time I really got burned, and this is before I was in an e-community, was investing with someone who had done one thing 
turnkey rentals in Dallas and was now doing office real estate and didn't know what they were doing. And, and, you know, there are huge problems with it. So relying on your community, your network and having multiple communities is it's the best way. It's, it's uh, shortcuts, right? It allows you to skip over some things that you might've learned the hard way. And instead, as you said, you can learn from someone else's experience. So I'm all in with, with community and network. I think it's vitally important. Yeah. And so let's talk about that. I've got Wealth Formula Network, uh, which is our private community. If anyone's interested, go to wealthformularoadmap.com and check that out. But you have uh, left field investors. Tell us a little bit about that that group. Yeah. So basically, I just wanted a, a, a smaller community. You know, I, I, um, I participate in, in your network and, and listen to the calls and that that's awesome. There's phenomenal people on there. But I also wanted a, a small group where I could just kind of network with, with people. And so I was going to do a, a 12 person dinner group kind of thing in Columbus, um, 12 people, because that's the smallest room I could get for free in a restaurant. Yeah. Um, but then the pandemic happened. So we never we never met. And we still haven't met. We went online. And once we went online, that allowed people from out of town, some of my financial advising clients, some other friends, family. And then we started inviting syndicators on to, uh, you know, every month to, to be guest speakers. And it just kind of grew from that. And, and our focus is, you know, we want to help educate people and provide a network for people that want to invest in real assets that produce real income. And, you know, I think one of the major differences between our groups is we have um, non-accredited people. We have investors that are just starting out that, that you know, don't know what they're doing and, and they don't really necessarily have the money to uh, put, put in multiple deals. So it's, it's kind of, um, and we, we do have some experienced people too. We have people who've been in 50 deals and we have, like I said, people who are trying to get into their first one. So it's really just focused on education and, and networking. Uh, you know, in terms of the podcast, one of the things we, you and I talked a bit a little bit of offline is I know you're talking to, you know, potentially some other syndicators and stuff. Um, you know, I did that early on and uh, where, you know, when I started my podcast, I was kind of all over the place um, because I was just trying to make the point that there's so many things out there that you can invest in. So, I didn't really necessarily do a quality control type thing. I didn't really do a lot of, um, I guess, background check on these people from the standpoint of would I invest in something like this? Would I be interested in this? And how well do I know these people? All these things that I think are critically important for actually making an investment. And um, that kind of came back to me uh, pretty quickly because I realized that people were starting to see that if I had somebody on the show, in a way, I was putting a stamp of approval on it, right? And um, I found that to be a little bit disconcerting. So now it is very rare when I'll actually have, um, you know, any anybody on or any group on that's raising capital that I don't know extremely well and would be happy to deploy a bunch of money myself. Um I'm curious about your journey on the podcast front in that, because you're early on. Have you thought about that? How do you, how do you vet people who are coming on that kind of thing? Yeah. You know, to be honest, I, I, I hadn't put a lot of thought into that until we had that conversation. So I definitely thank you for that. Um, but for the most part, you know, not all, but almost all the guests I've had so far that are raising money I've invested with. Right. And I feel like I know, like, and trust them. Um, now there's a few that I haven't, but I, I am 
trying to evaluate that a little bit better because you're right. When you have a platform, whether you have as many, you know, audience, a large audience as you do or a smaller one that I have, they, they do kind of assume that, that you're endorsing them. So I, I do think about that. It is something that I'm going to be more diligent and careful about um, doing, you know, what I'll probably do is screen them like I screen an operator, you know, get some referrals. Hey, does anybody know this person? What do you think about this person? Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of the way that I think I need to approach it going forward because, you know, we do need to be careful. We need to protect our brands. We need to protect our networks. And the last thing I would want is, you know, having someone on the podcast that, um, you know, doesn't, that does something that, that harms our, our community. And that's really important. I'm glad you're doing that. Uh, This is a, you know, it's a good, uh, useful ecosystem, the real estate podcast ecosystem, but there's, it's fraught with charlatans too. It really is. And so you got to be really yeah. careful. And even like, you know, really good guys that I know who've got podcasts end up having, you know, people on their podcasts, which I probably would not, uh, would not do. And I don't think it's a malintent on their case. I think, again, it's understanding that anytime you get behind a mic for whatever reason, even if, even if you don't have a lot of credibility, which you do, uh, you, you do end up you know, with, uh, with some sort of status. And so you are influencing people. So that's really, uh, I applaud you for doing that. Um, what is the podcast called and, uh, where can we find it? It's, uh, it's called passive investing from left field and it's, uh, it's on all the, the major podcast players. And if you go to, uh, our website at leftfieldinvestors.com, there's a, there's a podcast link there as well. Fantastic. Jim Pfeiffer, Jim, Thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey. No, it's it's a pleasure as always. And, and Buck, just one one aside, you know, I really do appreciate your network and all it's given to me because it really did give me a head start and getting into some quality syndications and then kind of broadening out from there. I still listen to the calls when, when I can't uh, attend in person, but your group is high quality, fantastic group. So I really appreciate uh, all that you've given given your community. Thanks, Jim. I do appreciate that. And we'll uh, have you on again soon when you, uh, you know, in the next few months, and we'll, we'll get a chance to see how things are going over with the left field investors. Sounds great. Thanks, Buck. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, I think one of the morals of the story here is, you know, hopefully you can find some parts of your journey or Jim's uh, journey and, uh, you know, use it for your own. Uh, but I also do want to encourage you again, like we did last time, uh, last show is, you know, this is a really good opportunity for you to understand the power of these kinds of communities. And if you're not, you know, already part of it, you ought to consider either Wealth Formula Network, which is our group, which you can sign up for at wealthformularoadmap.com or, you know, look into something like Jim's group or start your own group, whatever. But, you know, get some people who are of like mind who you can talk to on a regular basis and, you know, provide some support to each other because there's plenty of people out there who are going to tell you what you're doing is wrong or dangerous, whatever. But, you know, if that were the case, I certainly wouldn't be sitting here and um, I have a lot more money than I did, uh, you know, years ago. And I certainly have, frankly, have a lot more money than most people who are in the physician community. So, That being said, that is it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. 
Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.